yes sir welcome back another edition of for the love of the game this is the one and only nick andre i'm glad to have you guys tune in with me as always nba season right around the quarter about to begin and you know everybody who's been tapped into the team previews definitely appreciate all the support that you guys be giving me and we're gonna keep we're gonna continue this nba talk um gonna talk about some of the best backcourts in the nba and talk about a few other teams as well. And I got a guy, he's returning back to the show, man. You you may have known him. Y'all may have seen him featured on Clutch Points, on Slam Magazine. I got my guy, Quinn, man. What's going on with you, bro? Chilling, man. How you doing today? Man, not too bad, man. Been a been a real crazy day. It's starting to get cold outside, man. It's crazy. <laughs> it is starting to get cold. I was just thinking about that yesterday. Like, yeah, we got about four or five more months of this. Hell yeah, it's crazy. Too. And, and I'm in, and I'm in, I mean, I'm in North Florida, so I mean, it, it don't okay. get too crazy, but yeah, I mean, it, it like there's, there's still like them days where like you know it can get real, real cold. So yeah, they were saying North Florida and South Georgia really about the same. Mm-hmm. Just about. I mean, it really ain't that far. I'm actually like four and a half hours out of Atlanta. So oh, word. So you like yeah. right across the border. Hell yeah, like right around the corner. Hell, that's 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 why that's why most of the time I really be in ATL. I'm about to try to get out there more once the season begins. Oh yeah, you need to. My little brother show. I'm coming out here, so yeah. <laughs> now we definitely gonna make that happen. But uh, for, first things I want to ask you, man, because I know you've been on the scenes, man. I know that you were a part of the Hawks media day, you know, covering them, man. So what was that experience like? Oh yeah, man. I, I really always enjoy media day because it's almost like the first day of school type vibe. You know what I mean? I like, feel that everybody loves like. In terms of players, everybody loved being back. Uh, they taking they, they they pictures and whatnot, uh, and even the guy the guys that you don't usually hear from, you know, of course you'll hear from the coaches and, and GMs and all that. But you know, some guys on a two way or guys just in on the training camp contract you might not normally hear from. Oh, they all get a chance to talk. So I just I just enjoy that whole thing in general. Now, so did you get, you get a chance to talk to anybody, or you just pretty much like took notes and everything? Uh, no, I, I asked a couple of questions during media day. Uh, Cause, uh, I mean, I really, when I came in there, I had a plan to, I was going to ask Quinn Snyder really about what his plan was as far as, uh, replacing John Collins and how they wanted to use Trey Young moving forward. But, you know, really there's so many, so many people over there, it's almost like a question I'll get asked eventually sometimes, but uh, when it comes to Snyder and, uh, I didn't really even have to ask him because he really just went into asking that, but I, I got to talk to him about the leadership aspect, what he wants from Trey Young. Which I really asked that partially because, uh, you know, at the end of last season, they were talking about Trey Young got to show them this or that, basically. Well, what happened? They were saying in the media, you know, not not saying the organization really said it. So it almost had you thinking, like, like you know, he was on a little shorter leash. So it had me uh, also wondering what they wanted to see from him as far as leadership. So that was one thing about it. And then uh, just in a general sense, talk to Sadiq Bay. Uh, you know, he used to play for the Pistons and uh, sir. You know, Trey got treasure to the Hawks. But he's always been one of my favorite players in the league. Like, I, I don't know. Like, bro, like, he's not like a – you know, he might not be somebody you count on every game. But, bro, bro get you some buckets, man. Bro, who – people forget he, he had a 50-point game with Detroit, I think, I don't he know if it was last year or the year before. But I know yeah. I know, I know, he got buckets against the Magic. Bro, 51 points. That's what I had asked him about. Uh, That's really part, part of the reason I had even decided to ask about John Collins because I'm like – when I'm looking at who they should replace with John Collins with, I mean, you might say DeAndre Hunter and this and that should, you know, take up that role. But like we just said, Sadiq Bay just scored 51 a couple of seasons ago. He didn't score right. 30 points every season. So, like, he could put some points on the board if you're given the opportunity. So, but, yeah. What do you think about 
Onyeka Khan will possibly slide into that foreman role, or even a guy like Jalen Johnson. Now, Okongu, I feel like I, I feel like people are saying that mostly because it's almost like we're going back to like traditional front courts where you got it's like I mean the power forwards aren't necessarily you think he's more of a five man, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think he is more of a five, he's just a little bit undersized, right? He's a little bit undersized, but he's more of a five for real. But I mean, I will say if because I know he can knock down the mid-range, if he can hit down some like you know, hit some hit some threes consistently. I do think he might be able to play the four a little bit more, for real though. But I like Jalen Johnson a lot though. Like Jalen Johnson's done through, man. Man, he could defend, he could pass. You know, he get above the rim. If he gets, you know, I Put always the say on the floor. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I feel like a role player just need one good solid move. If you get one of those, he be, he be in the game. Nah, I, I definitely feel that man. It's it's crazy though, man, because I feel like John Collins he brought so much. People forget like he was a twenty and ten type of guy. He was, bro. Like you know what I'm saying. And I know I know over the past few years, you know, there was rumblings about whether him and Trey could coexist on the court. And then I think many can say that you know bringing in Dejounte did possibly you know take away from you know take away from his um his value on the floor. But I still think John Collins is a great player. I mean, him playing in Utah next to guys like Larry Markkinen. And the rest of those guys, he's gonna be he's probably gonna be in the front in the front court with uh Walker Kessler, I think, who was their starting center. So yeah, I think I think he's gonna shine out there for real. I mean, I mean, if he can get that opportunity to really go out there and like you know play his style of play, I think he's gonna be good. Honestly, I believe that John Collins is uh like you said, man, I, I people underrate him. Like they do. I mean, maybe he ain't a the all-star, you know what I'm saying? He's not your uh I'm trying to think of the best power forward I can think of. He, he's not a, a, a damn Julius Randle. Even Julius Randle, he gets his, you know what I'm saying, because a lot of criticism. He's not even on Julius Randle level, if you want to say that, but he'll still get you right. 2010. Still get you 2010. And he's a real nice guy, bro, like, like in all seriousness. Like, a lot of players, you know, the money might get stay head, but John Collins, I mean, every time anybody talks to him in the media, he was just a nice dude for real. No, that's what's up. I mean, he seemed like he a real nice dude to me. I mean, even when people were asking about, you know, how he felt about Trey, you know, this is when, you know, the the trade rumors were starting to begin. You know, he was just saying, yo, that's my guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, even right. though even though, even though, though we may not, you know, be able to coexist on the floor, be able to see the same thing on the floor, you know what I'm saying? That's still my guy at the end of the day. So I, that's one thing that I respected about John Collins, that, you know, he never made it personal, no matter what they made, well, no matter what may have happened on the court. So that's something I definitely respect. Right. Um, what do you think the Hawks are going to finish this year? Because you, turn, you mean like record-wise? Yeah, like record-wise, and like what seed you think that they're going to finish in the in the Eastern Conference? Well, I feel like because I do like what Quinn Snyder is doing with the um like that strategically. I see a little bit of what the Warriors are doing with them, but I think they can win between forty-five and fifty games. I would, you know, I ain't, I mean, I might live out here. I ain't no real Atlanta Homer fan, so I ain't gonna say more than fifty. <laughs> but I'll be tempted to say something like that. But I do think they'll have a better seed than last year. That's what I do believe. So I do think they'll be around fourth, fifth seed, you know, not fighting for a playing spot. Because uh, even though playing is good for teams and whatnot, you know, if you if you have to really do it, that means you're playing like an extra round, basically. So. I mean, I it, it's I mean, the, the East is really tough, especially like those last slots as far as the playoff spot, because you still got – you know, Cleveland and New York, I think they're going to remain in that four or five spot. Brooklyn, you know, if Ben Simmons comes back, you know, 100%, you know, I think I think that they could be a team that can compete in the East. Then you got Atlanta in the mix. Um, there's some other teams, too, that I'm not that I'm able to, I'm not able to think about right now. But, I mean, the, 
like that bottom tier of the Eastern Conference, like yeah. six down from like six to ten, is going to be real, real competitive. And I know that the Hawks have been in that playing spot over the past few years now. You know, they were able to get past, 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 past those playing spots. You know, every or those playing spots every single time. So, you know, what I mean, I mean, they they've been a team that's really been able to hunger, like to be able to hang around. So I'm really interested to see you know what they can do this year. But let's yeah. go ahead and like further talk about the Hawks in a way. Uh, we're going to start this. We're going to start this thing about the backcourse, man. We'll start with both Trey Young and DeJounte. We'll play their first season together in Atlanta. Trey averaged around 26 and 10, shot 43% from the floor. DeJounte averaged around 25 and 6, alongside one and a half steals. Um, this duel was really interesting. And I remember last year when they did trade for uh, DeJounte, and I was thinking, okay, this may be more of an opportunity for Trey to play more off ball. Because yeah. I, mean, obviously, I mean, we obviously know that Trey. I mean, Trey Trey is definitely effective with the ball, but I think that he can be dangerous with or without the ball. And I feel like maybe before DeJounte got there, he didn't have a he didn't really have the opportunity. Because I mean, you still got guys, even though guys like DeAndre Hunter, guys like Bogdanovich, you know, even Kevin Herter was with the team at one point. Even though those guys are really good players, but you know, you can't you can't really put the ball in their hands and expect them to make plays. You know, those are the type of guys that's going to wait and be spot up shooters and wait for the and wait for Trey to give them the ball. So. Having a guy, having a guy, Dejounte, who is a, who is also a point guard, who is a great playmaker as well. I think I thought that that was going to take a lot of pressure off Trey, but at least, at least when they had Nate McMillan, I didn't really see a lot of it. I mean, I saw some of it a little bit, but it was more, it was all, it was still more so Trey, you know, dictating the mm-hmm. offense and still having the ball in his hand. So, what? My first question is, what were your thoughts on the the duel of Dejounte and Trey, you know, throughout last year? You know. I, I do wish, like, I, I guess I thought, like you said, I w- it would have turned out better. I mean, you know, it, it is still egos and, and two people having to share the ball. So it's not like I thought it was going to be instantaneous. But I did think it was going to be better, though, at the end of the day. Um, and I feel like it might have been a little bit more more of a, uh, what do you call it, a more of a power struggle behind the scenes than what people might have seen, you know, just watching. And I feel like that might have contributed to why they didn't really mesh as well as people would have thought, but you know, there's right. also your first year. It's almost just like your first year working with somebody, you know, like uh, I almost think of it like if you worked at a like I almost had to compare it to school since you know they get out for like a summer. But if you know you, you had a new teacher that just joined the school, y'all might not click that first year, but you know y'all come back right for the summer, come back. You might like them more the second year. Y'all might work better together. So it's something like that. Just where I just I just think time might might change things up. I mean, all I can say is, you know, I, I don't I don't want to compare these two to these guys, but, you know, the first year that Braun and D-Wade got together, you know, they were still trying to figure things out. They were still trying to figure out, you know, how they could play together and who could right. take over as far as being the number one option. And I, I'm not I'm not trying to compare Trey and DeJounte to them, but I'm just I'm just trying to give I'm just trying to give a scenario. So no, that's a great may, point. So, yeah, I mean, heading into heading into year two, I mean, I think they might be able to figure something out. Um, I think I want to say I heard about Quinn Snyder saying that they would want to play more of Trey off the ball and a lot of John Tate to possibly run the offense on um, on a few possessions. And I think that maybe I think that could possibly be effective. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, you know, Trey is Trey, Trey is effective with or without the ball. I mean, I know that people get on to him about his efficiency and everything, but hmm. you know, Trey, Trey is to me, Trey is one of the more dangerous players in the NBA, especially no, he's definitely he's lethal, like especially when he's on, he's lethal. Exactly. Like, you know, he can he can shoot it. He can pass it, like you know what I'm saying. He can he can run the pick and roll. You know, we saw we saw that connection that we have with that he had with John Collins. We saw that we, I mean we still see that that connection that he has with guys like Clint Capella with Anyeka Kongu. So 
you know, Trey, Trey is effective, you know, with the ball, definitely. But I think, you know, if you allow him to play without the ball, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's going to play like that style of stuff. Curry kind of plays like, you know, just moving, you know, running. Yeah. Around just purely off the line. Like purely. Yeah. I know what you're saying though. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, if they, if they do that, you know, then, I mean, I think the defense is going to have to really be on their heels. So that's something yeah. that I'm definitely going to want to see, you know, moving forward, possibly with Trey and Deshante. And honestly, speaking to that, uh, how we just talking about Jalen Johnson because I had just looked up the stats. So John Collins, which you know, you don't really need the stats to say, you know, to know he's not really a passer, but he averaged like 1.2 assists per game last year. But you know, I think this preseason, I think Jalen Johnson, I think this preseason, he's averaged like 3.7, somewhere but somewhere around three assists per game, right? In like 18 minutes a game, you know what I mean? So one way or the other, you know what I'm saying? He's a more dangerous playmaker. So as we talk about trade playing off the ball, I definitely think Jalen Johnson will be a big part of that. Do you think that these two could possibly emerge as one of the best duos in basketball? Hmm. I mean, Trey, he really doesn't get enough respect. So I really feel like he already should be seen as maybe <clears throat> at least a top 15 point guard. Like, to be real, like off the top of my head, I really can't. I think, I think he's at least top five. Top That's 20, what I mean, like right now. I said top 10, and I was like, Really I mean, because like you got you got to think. I mean, he averaged twenty six and ten last year. Like, there's not too many guys who's doing better than Trey. Like, exactly. To be honest with you, and then uh, Dejounte Murray. I'm about to say, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of guys who could do it on both ends of the court. Like I know yes. that you know, of course, defense ain't sexy. We all know that, but it's it's it, it really matters though, especially when the the guards in the league are getting so great. You need at least somebody that can at least hold it down for you a little bit over there. So I like Dejounte Murray a lot too. So as far as uh, them becoming one of the better uh, duos in basketball, like I've also, I already want to say they are one of the better duos. But I hope this season fans can like really like get to see it. Like Trey be a little bit more efficient. Maybe they respect him more. Dejounte, well I don't really know what Dejounte got to do to, to make fans respect him more. But maybe the Hawks start winning more. You know that'll be what it is. Yeah, I think I think that's that's going to be a challenge for Trey, especially coming into the season because he's never really been known as a elite defender so right. especially especially if you're playing in the backcourt with a guy like Dejounte, who is known to be you know a great defender a great perimeter defender so that's going to be something that trey has to challenge himself on. i mean not even just trade but the hawks in general because the hawks really yeah. weren't that great defensively last year yeah. it was it was it was terrible for the most part and the only way that they were winning was if they outscored their opponents which because i mean i'll be real there's a lot of games where they scored like 140. actually it's crazy i went to a game last year when they played Indiana, they won. What was the score? It was like one forty-two to like one thirty. Like you know what I'm saying? Like you know, like it, like it had to be one of those high-scoring games in order for them to win. And you know, I mean, it's cool at the end of the day. You know, you're able to score a lot of those points, but you know, to still give up a lot of those points, you know, I think that's something that they have to work on. So, I think with Trey being the leader and the franchise player of this team, that's something that he's going to definitely have to continue to work on. And right. if he can figure out a way to just you know be a little bit better defensively and try to set the tone on that end, I think that he'll be good. And honestly, him playing off ball might give him a little bit more energy to commit to the defensive end, honestly. You that's know? true. That's definitely true. So that's that, that's just something that I really want to see because I think both are really good at playmaking and with the ball in their hands. And I think that, you know, if you can – and, like, I'm not I'm not saying that DeJounte should play the entire game with the ball in his hands, but, you know, right. if you can switch back and forth, you know, and take pressure off of, off, off of both guys, I think, I think that would be great for both of them. So – that's something that I hope that Quinn Snyder does implement, you know, into the offense. You know, it's something that he did talk about. And, you know, we'll just see we'll, we'll just see how it goes during, during the season. Another duo we can talk about uh, in Cleveland 
my guys Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, they just played their first year together as well. Donovan Mitchell averaged around 28 a game, four and a half assists, one and a half steals, shot 48% from the floor. Darius Garland, a little over 21 and a half points, nearly eight assists, um, a little over a steal, and then 46% from the floor. Um, what were your thoughts on them last year, and how, how do you think that they can get better this year as a duo? Man, it's I almost feel like Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland basically like a step ahead of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray in terms of clicking. Like they mesh a little bit better. I mean, they might not be completely better talent wise because uh, I would still say Trey Young's you know better than Darius Garland. I think I agree. I'll say Darius Garland nice, like he's nice, but yeah, I just feel like it's still like a little a, a bit of a difference between them. But yeah, man, I, I really liked. You know, I mean, I'm a big Colin Sexton fan, so I really didn't like the trade, to be honest with you. But I actually do like the fact that Donovan Mitchell came in. He took over in terms of, like, he had taken over the whole organization. I don't want to say it like that because I guess you could still say it's like a they spreading the love type thing. But he took over, like, Darius Garland couldn't play, you know, Donovan Mitchell's mm-hmm. 30 a game, like, inconsistently. Exactly. And you really can't say nothing about nobody that's holding it down like that. So I really, like, I was really a fan of how he played, honestly. Uh, last season, and I'm a fan of how uh, how we were just talking about Trey Young growing defensively. I think Darius Garland, uh, you know, he, he's not going to be somebody that's going to lock somebody down, really, but he committed to that defensive end, and I feel like he saw that a lot. He actually made a lot of plays in the passing lanes that I saw last year. And so he yeah, yeah. That. And I, I, was, I was really a fan of that, too. So, um, like, in terms of the, their size on the defensive end, um, you know, of course, a lot of people will say they're too small. And, I mean, there's a, a good reason to think that they're too small because, you know, they. Oh, I think Darius Garland's like 6'1". And Donovan Mitchell, he bounced. Yeah, I was like, yeah, he might got bounced, but, you know, he's still short. <laughs> so, like, are they small? Yeah, but can they overcome that? I mean, it's possible. I definitely say it's possible. Yeah, um, that, that that is a concern. Is their size, especially when you're going up against, you know, bigger front courts? Like, I mean, I know that I know that Trey is a little short too, but you know, Dejounte, I think he's what, what, six four, six five, yeah, so he's up like there that. in size. And then, of course, you got other back courts that have size as well. So, I guess you could say that is a concern. But the one thing that I will say is that, you know, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, they're not really a slouch on defense. You know, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying that they're great defenders, but you know, they are guys that can get active on the end of the floor. You know, right. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen. You know, it's like you mentioned, you know, them getting into the passing lanes, which leads to which leads to easy transition baskets. So you know, that's something that I do like about them. Um, now, obviously, you know, I don't think both of them really played that well in the first round against the Knicks. Nah. <laughs> but I don't know, heading into year two, because I know I know that there's been a lot of rumblings about, and I mean, we, I mean, me and you, we both talked about this last time we were on, about possibly Donovan Mitchell possibly leaving and going to New York. But, you know, at least to me, it seems like he wants to stay. It seemed like he wants to stay in Cleveland. It seemed like he really likes playing next to Garland. And I think that these two could possibly make something to shake, honestly. And really, I mean, you know, if you've been to Ohio, New York ain't that far from Ohio anyway. So if it's really just about being yes. able somewhere close, like, honestly, he really is somewhere close. So I was say, as long as the Cavs make it, you know, of course, great players want to win. So as long as they look like they, like, not only can win, but still trying to be competitive because even Giannis is putting the pressure on them. <laughs> this summer, I didn't expect y'all to talk like that. So, it, it just, yeah, I would say it's just interesting. So, I know Donovan Mitchell, I mean, you know, when his time comes for the extension talks, like the Cavs going to have to show that they're competitive at the very least. 
you know what I'm saying, to be like, you know, you should stay over here. So I feel like this season really is probably one of the most important seasons for him. So I think Darius Garland is going to be on this game. Uh, the front office is going to try to do their best uh, to, you know, bring in the best pieces to make sure that they got the guys they need. Because um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the small market thing is a thing, but I just feel like the Cavs should be a little bit more talented than what they are in terms of spread. So it's like, you know, as long as, as long as they, they build the right team around them, I think they'll be all right, though. No, I definitely agree. And another thing that I want to talk about as well with them is that, I mean, they're both really good playmakers. So they're, they're guys that can run the offense and, you know, cause I'll be right. Donovan Mitchell. He's grown a lot, even during his Utah days as a playmaker. And Darius right. Garland came in as a, as a terrific playmaker as well. So both of those guys are really good at sharing the ball and, you know, keeping the ball movement. So that's something that's, that's really, really good for them as well. So, you know, I like I like I like this I like this duel that they have with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. I know that you know they may not be the most talked about. You know, what I'm saying at least as far as you know last year, I think they're at least top five. I think they're at least a top five duo in the NBA. I mean, when you talk about you know them being able to do what they did, they got to the playoffs. They they were the four seed. I know that they lost in New York, but you know just being able to do what they did. You know, Donovan Mitchell certainly had his moments. He had the 71 point game. I know that. Um, Darius Garland also had his had his shine as well. I know that Darius Garland had missed had missed a little bit of time, and Donovan Mitchell had to slide to that point guard position to step in. But you know, I think even when Garland came back, I thought he had some good moments too. So I mean, that, that's just my opinion. Oh no, I, I like you said top five. Uh, I definitely see top five backcourt for them. Like, yeah, because I'll be real, I was gonna go top three, but I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I think <laughs> I, I I would have to think about top three. You know, I ain't gonna lie because you, yeah, that's what I was thinking about too. Because you know, the first one that pops in my mind, well, angle you say they really just the best, but you know, you got to put the Suns backcourt top three. No, definitely. And then I'm thinking about what the Celtics been doing. Like Holiday again, he's not like really a flash player, but he just get it done. You got Jalen Brown. But you never know exactly what position they're gonna put Jalen Brown. That's what I'm saying. Like you know, like Jalen, because like Jalen could be a two, Jalen could be a three at one time. Right. So it's it's really it's really crazy though. It's really all about where um where the coach really wants to put them. You know, for real though. And I ain't gonna lie, it's always interesting to me where like coaches decide to play a guy for the season because you know that that affects like all NBA teams and things like that because you only have so many slots for certain positions. So it's just always yeah. It's like it don't matter, but it do. Like at the end of the day, yeah. I think I think the two are both going to elevate and capitalize where they came off last year, as far as the regular season wise, and have another good year. It's like I said. I mean, you know, they both didn't relatively play well in the first round against New York, so that should be on the back of their mind, and they should oh, have to come back. Definitely a wake up call, bro. Like because they went, went all bad. That's really what they it was. Went sad, bro. <laughs> it's like y'all didn't just lose. Y'all kind of got embarrassed. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like it was it was two of them got cooked by one dude, Jalen Brunson. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Jalen Brunson, yeah, he again, he fired, he popped onto the scene in all uh, uh-huh. a couple of seasons ago. So maybe a lot of people don't know about him. So yeah, he is five, but he shouldn't be able to take down Garland and Mitchell. Exactly. No, exactly. But no, I mean, but no, I mean, you know, I think that this should be on the in the back of their heads, you know, especially heading into the season. And you know, they should look to come into the season like motivated than ever because I mean this this is a team that has that has a ceiling of second round and possibly conference finals you know depending on you know depending on how well they could play and how well you know the other guys can grow because I mean I know that Evan Mobley's going into year three I believe so and I know that you know he's kind of had his setbacks you know a lot of people will blame it on Jared Allen a lot of people could blame it on other things but you know he's still a very talented player so I think I think the Cavs have 
everything that it takes to possibly really elevate as a true playoff contender in the Eastern Conference. You know, like I said, I mean, they were the four seed last year, so let's see if they can capitalize off of that moving forward. Not for real, though. But not. Let's dive into a young duo on the rise, which hmm. is on the Oklahoma City Thunder. We got Shea Gilders Alexander, and then we got my guy Josh Giddy. SGA, incredible year last year. Made his first all-star appearance, averaged around 31 a game, five and a half, five and a half assists, a little over one and a half steals, and then shot 51% from the floor. Josh Giddy averaged a little over 16 and a half points, around six assists, eight rebounds, which is really impressive, and then shot 48% from the floor. And the thing about this duo here is they're big. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> SGA is 6'6, six, six, Josh Giddy is 6'8. Like they can really disrupt. You know, a lot of opposing backcourts, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, because I mean, we even talked about, you know, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell both being like 6'1, six, 6'2. Six, so, you know, right. what are your thoughts on SGA and Josh Giddy? How can they grow as a duo moving forward? Man, I love, I like, SGA is a player I wasn't, I really wasn't up on game like I should have been. Like, when he was on his rise, like a couple seasons ago, I was probably like ignoring it. But I wish I would have been paying more attention because Brez, Brez crappy. And what I saw him do with a team Canada during the summer, it was real impressive. But that's also what I saw, or, you know, not just the crappiness, but leading the national team in a sense. Saw Josh Giddy doing that too. And so I feel like what I just saw them do with their national teams, uh, their respective national teams, is going to translate to the next season. And so I expect, you know, not only the fact that they played well, I guess you could say, during the FIBA World Cup, but the fact that that they they just they got the experience of leading. I feel that's going. I was like, you know what I'm saying. I feel like that's going to make them better together. Because you know you got two guys. I mean, they're young guys, but they know how to lead a program. I shouldn't say program, lead the team. I should say. And so you got you know what I'm saying. You got you got Giddy, you got SGA, and then you got Chet coming back. And Chet, you, yeah, you, that's yeah. that's a big difference there. I was like, and those three guys, like, and I feel like especially because you know Chet's going to rely on them a lot to get them the ball. Facts. So, like those three guys are going to really like make the Thunder pop, and I, I'm looking, to, I'm looking to SGA to be a, I'm looking for him to be an MVP candidate. I ain't going to say I don't, I don't think he's going to win really, but I can MVP, see it happening. I can, yeah. I can definitely see it happening. Like, at least get some votes in there. That's what I'm looking for. Nah, I, I think, I think that could definitely happen. And the thing about SGA is that I feel like you know, and that's the thing too, because he doesn't really pop. Like compared right. to like a lot of guys, but he plays super efficient and you know he's really just a real professional player. You know, like I said, I mean, you know, he averaged 31 a game and he was able to make the all-star team. But even I don't know, it's like I think people were talking about it, but I don't think people were I don't think people were really raving about him enough. And he's really been like this since you know his rookie year with the Clippers. And then mm-hmm. you know that transition to him at OKC or his first few years at OKC, him playing next to Chris Paul and them getting into the playoffs. I think that he was a great compliment next to CP3. And now transitioning to him being the franchise star of the team and now, you know, elevating his game. So I'm really excited to see how he can really lead this team. Um, as far as for Giddy, he's a terrific playmaker. And I think that he's really good at dissecting the defense and really getting to the basket. He can make he can make perimeter shots, but that's not something that that's not really one of his strengths. And I think that's something that he can definitely improve on because he already has the size to really attack opposing ones and twos right but if he can if he can step out and really knock down you know his perimeter shot on, on a consistent basis and then of course you add that with sga that's gonna make it even more dangerous to me man for real and honestly <laughs> uh 
out of all the backcourts you're talking about it is weird because as much as we talk about guards, like, uh, you know, there's being like a shooter's league, out of all the top backcourts, like nowadays, these last two, three seasons, a lot of the top guards, they're not really great three-point shooters like that. That's true, yeah. I've been noticing that that trend lately. It's almost like it's working its way like back towards uh, regressing towards the average. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm going to say, um, who's a who's a who's a backward door right now that struggles on the perimeter um like besides what we were just talking about like the next one we were, uh on the list i think with Cade and jade and ivy yeah yeah i mean oh yeah that's that's definitely one that we want to dive into <laughs> later on but but no nah, man i mean you know okc they were one went away from making the playoffs you know they beat new orleans in their first playing game unfortunately lost hmm. in that second playing game to minnesota so like I said, I think I think both of them are going to come back better than ever. And then you mentioned, you know, bringing in Chet Holmgren, who is going to make his NBA debut. And that's a guy, too, that can take a lot of pressure off of them as well, because, you know, as you are, sorry, or Chet, Chet Holmgren is a guy. He doesn't he doesn't only have to play inside. You know, so he can play outside. He can put the ball on the floor. He can play make. So he's just a gifted talent overall, man. And I think you combine that with SGA and Josh Giddy. Like, that's going to make OKC even more dangerous. I'll be real. I think, like, this may be a bold statement, but I think they can be at least top seven in the West, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. I, I may I may have to think about that because the West is definitely tough uh, because Dallas will be coming back with Luka and Kyrie, which, you know, we should definitely dive into them, too. Um, oh, yeah. And then there's a few other teams, too. So, I don't know. I mean, I think OKC has what it takes. I know that they're relatively young. They don't really have a lot of experience of what it takes to really win. But I think that I think that they can really make something shake in the West. And I think with SGA and Josh Giddy leading the way as far as their backcourt, and then of course them dictating the offense, I think that they can make it happen. No, I'm also I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the West right now just to see where they might stack up at. And like you said, I mean, it, it is going to be tough because the West is always tough. That's always tough, but, man. But I, I can't see them working their way into the top eight, top seven. I can see it happening because I feel like a team like the, I don't know, the Timberwolves are always iffy. Like, I, I never really know exactly how to feel about how they're playing. Uh, the Kings, I like I like what they did last season, but I just wonder if things are really good. Yeah, I mean, they are good. I ain't going to lie. I'm like I'm a fan of how Mike Brown is coaching them. Like, <laughs> it's almost like. I like the black dad type coaches. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, so very remind me of a, like I always say, like it's always guys like Mike Tomlin. It's like they coaching you, but at the same time, they teaching you. So I was like, I, I like that about Mike Brown. But still, you know, the Thunder got a lot of young talent. And, I, and I've been, I was impressed with Chet this summer, bro. Like, like I was impressed with SGA Giddy and Chet. That's what so. If yeah. Jason, uh, J Dub, Jalen Williams can, can keep building off what he did last season. They definitely could be a playoff team, really. Yeah, uh, both both Jalen Williams, guys like Lou Dort as well. Like they they have a boy, Lou they Dort. have a nice like they have a nice young <laughs> squad. Um, I would love to see if they can add some veterans to the team, but I think once the, once you add some veterans who may or may not have won a championship but have gotten into deep playoff runs, if you can add a guy like, like if you can add a certain guy like that. I think that'll definitely help them as, as a whole as well. So I'm definitely I'm definitely excited to see what OKC can do this year, led by SGA and Josh Giddy. Let's dive into Detroit. My guys, Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Yes, sir. Um, I know that is I know that is really interesting because Kate only played 12 games last year, so 
we didn't really get a chance to really see what this backcourt duo could really do throughout the course of, a, of an entire regular season. But, you know, during the time that they played, Cade averaged 20 a game, six rebounds, six assists, shot 41% from the floor. Jaden Ivey, Ivey averaged around 16 a game, five assists, and then shot 41% as well. So I know that people are concerned with their efficiency, and I think that they both can improve as outside scorers. But when you talk about both of them, you know, being flashy, being very athletic, especially Jaden Ivey, both of them like showing that ability to get to the basket and put pressure on the defense. I think that both of them are really excited to watch. So what is your thoughts on the duo and how do you, how do you see them progressing, you know, this upcoming season? Um, I'm a big fan of both Cade and Jaden Ivey. Um, I thought I like they mix because Cade is a methodical, you know, he's a, he's a thinking man. He's like, he's playing chess when he's on, on, the, on the court. And Jaden Ivey, I mean, you know, he ain't just one speed, but you know, he's fast. So I like they, yeah. I like how they blend uh, their their physical skill sets. And like you said, the shooting is a concern, uh, just because I mean, not just because of them, but because they really don't got too much shooting in the general sense. He ain't got too much in their front court besides uh, Bogdanovich. And, yeah, Bogdanovich. Yeah. And Osar, like I'm a big fan of Osar, and I think yeah. he's gonna get really good. Yeah. You know, so I'm gonna feel like with Osar, his shooting is gonna be like Sean Marion in a sense. Like, even if he's doing great, it's not like you're really gonna believe in the shot per se. It's just because you know of the form. But at the same time, I still feel like it's, I just think they're one of the most talented like backcourts, and I think that they have a lot of potential. Like, I think K, he's already almost averaging a triple double, like like with Giddy, but he almost feel like he has a little bit more potential than Giddy too. I feel like he's a little bit more crafty as a definitely. Sport. And then, even though he's not shooting well as far as his NBA career right now at uh, OK State, I mean, I can't, I, I had to look it up again, but he was, he was shooting, shooting quite well from three, you know what I'm saying, in college. So kind of surprising that he hasn't done well just yet. So maybe he can improve that this season. And Ivy, I think I remember towards the end of his rookie season, he started shooting a little bit more, started getting up towards the 35, 37% area. So if they could like build on that, I could definitely see them coming. Not just one of the better backcourts, but actually maybe a pair of all stars, like definitely K in general. That could happen. Like at Team USA, uh, at the Team USA training camp, I should say, uh, they were talking like he was the best player out there. So I, I really see a great future for him. I think the Pistons are one year away from really putting the NBA on notice, and hmm. I'm going to look to these two, Jaden Ivey and Kate Cunningham, to really make that happen or to really lead the way, to say the least. Um, you know, both are very high caliber players. Cade is a guy, you know, Cade is a leader to me. You know, he's a guy, especially if you saw him at Oklahoma State to be able to carry the team, how he did put the team on his back. You know, I mean, there was a lot of games where Cade pretty much carried them to a lot of those wins. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to diss with the rest of the supporting cast that he had, but he definitely shone as the best player on the floor. And that even translated to the NBA. You know, he had a really good rookie season. I thought he was going to win rookie of the year. Unfortunately, right. you know, Scotty Barnes, Scotty Barnes ended up winning. Shout out, shout out to him. Kudos to him. But Kate is a guy, you know, when healthy, you can definitely put the ball in his hands and, it, and you know, and expect him to, be like, you know, really make big plays. And same thing with Jaden Ivey. I think that's some. I think that's something that Jaden Ivey can definitely excel in. You know, we saw what he was able to do at Purdue. Um, you know, being able to shine over there. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm excited to see you know what what these two could possibly do together because I mean they're definitely high octane players. You know, they both are really great at, you know, getting to the basket and really finishing around the rim. The thing about it is that can they knock down perimeter shots at a consistent basis? I mean, they both show that they both show that they can do it, 
but it's all about shooting at a more efficient level. So that's something that I definitely want to see more of the, more from them moving forward. I will say they definitely have some guys on the roster that I think they can help them with that. Monte Morris is a guy who I've always felt like is a good, a good shooter. Marcus Sasser, we know we've seen him in Houston. We know he can shoot. True. Buddy, uh, Buddy Bohan, you know, you know, he could shoot. And even if he could uh <laughs> if he get his pops to pull up, that'd be great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like I, you know, I definitely could see ways in which you know internally they might be able to have the resources they need in terms of improving on from from three, but one with the other. Even if they didn't, like that, they'd still be some of my favorite players because you know, like you said, they like they're leaders, but like great young leaders, and I, I like to see that. What do you think their stat line could be, both individually? You think that they'll average around the same, or do you think that the numbers could could increase this year? Let's see. So. Cade averaged basically 26, 20 points, six rebounds, six assists last year. Mm-hmm. I think he might up his points a little bit. Uh, maybe, I'll say to about maybe 22, 23. Yeah, that's what I'll say about 23. That's all I'll say. I think he'd get up there. And he might be able to up his assists too because, I mean, they were so. more talented than last year. So we can see that happening. And then Jaden, uh, I really see what he put up last year, 16, 4, 5. Hmm. I ain't gonna lie. I feel like he might average around the same amount of points between like sixteen and eighteen. I just feel like he's just gonna probably be more efficient. Like instead of shooting forty-one percent from the field and thirty-four percent from three, he might be around you know forty-four percent from the field, going about thirty-six, thirty-seven from three. So that's what I hope to see from them at the very least. Because I mean, at, at the end of the day, at least one of them do got to be efficient though. In all that's a fact. That's, <laughs> that's definitely a fact. Um, Luca and Kyrie out in Dallas. Um, mm-hmm. This is a very interesting duo, and this is going to be their first full year playing together. Um, Kyrie played only 20. I mean, well, after the trade, he played only 20 games with Dallas, averaged 27 a game. Um, Luca, who played 66 games, averaged 32 points a game, eight, a little over eight and a half rebounds, eight assists. So, I'm really interested to see what this duo can do because I know that people are going to point the finger at Kyrie because before he got there, I want to say they were like three or four games above above 500. And then yeah. after he got there, I think they went 9 and 18 after that. So they ended up not even getting to the plan. They ended up missing the playoffs. But yeah. I think a full year of these two together, it seems like they want to play together, at least from what I've seen from Kyrie, is that, you know, he seemed like he's happy in Dallas. So, and Luca, Luca is a really terrific all-around players so i think that you know with Kyrie moving without the ball playing without the ball i think that you know both of them are going to be able to complement each other well so what are your thoughts on this duo especially in their first full season um together moving forward oh so i feel like we've already like people always wonder if Kyrie and luka can mesh up but i feel like it looks a lot like what Kyrie had with um lebron yeah like okay luka ain't as athletic but they i mean he's still a gifted passer you know what i'm saying an incredible playmaker incredible player so you know not only has Kyrie you know what I'm saying play like that uh play with a guy like that before but they won together so you know I'm expecting to see some great things now that they have a full offseason work together you know they'll have like you said a full season work together because even last season it's almost like they was you know Kyrie got there and I want to say Luca was hurt for the first few yeah games. I remember that he I think or well, at least at least from what I remember because Kyrie's first game was on the road against the Clippers and I want to say Luca was out that game that's what I'm saying I want to say they played a few games like without each other well Kyrie was playing and Luca was out for a little bit yeah. and I want to say Luca came back for a little bit and then Kyrie was out for a couple games that is so, true you know, yeah 
Because I saw like they got some real, you know, good meshing going. I say, yeah, they barely, like they didn't really see a lot of time on the floor together. That's the thing. Well, I, I, was, I definitely think they and another thing, of course, when it comes to Kyrie, he gotta be happy. So it's a good thing that he seems body in. <laughs> so I definitely think as long as he seems body in. And what I, I like the Dallas media because they don't they, <laughs> I will say and, and being part of the media, I know how it goes, you know. A sensational right. storyline is going to get you some page views, no matter what anybody says. Like I ain't gonna say that's the whole point of this industry, but a major part of what we got going on is getting views. So like it just makes sense that you would try to do things to get views. So I get that. And Kyrie is a person he polarizes. So even if you didn't have a personal problem with him, you might just ask him just to ask him. But you know the Dallas media, I noticed that they really try to keep it about basketball. Like they'll ask about. I like that. You know what I'm saying? They ain't even just. It's almost like a. Uh, like what Nakaya do, uh, you know, with Isaac Duncan, he, yeah, you know what I'm saying? He'll he does, I mean, he might care about the storylines, but he's not really just there to ask about that, right? No, I get that. I think this, this year for Kyrie, I think that I think that this could be one of his best years that he's had in a while because I feel like this is kind of a comfortable position because it's like we mentioned, you know, I mean, it's almost like you know, playing. It's almost like him playing with LeBron back in years past. You know, not saying that Luca is as good as LeBron, but with Luca being a being a gifted scorer, being a gifted playmaker, so the ball is going to be mostly in Luca's hands for the most part. Because I think that he's going to be the primary point guard. So that allows Kyrie to just roam without the basketball and just find good looks. Like you know, because I mean, Kyrie's already a gifted scorer. You know, we already know what he can do. He's a great spot up scorer. You know, he's great around the mid range. He's great behind the three point line. He's crafty as far as getting to the basket. So all Kyrie got to do is just be Kyrie, you know, and anticipate the pass from Luca, and then do your thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if they could figure out how to make that happen, I think that they could possibly emerge as one of the top two or maybe top three duels in basketball. So that's why that's why I'm really interested to see what they can do in their first year. Because, it's like I said, Kyrie only played 20 games with Dallas last year, and we even mentioned how the first, like, few games that Kyrie played, Luca wasn't around. And then, uh, then when Luca came back, Kyrie didn't play. So now we get a chance to see both of them fully healthy. Hopefully, they can stay healthy throughout the course of the season. And now let's see what these two can do. So it may it may be a resemblance of Kyrie playing next to Braun. So I'm I'm really excited to see how that how that can look. Oh, for sure, and I will say I ain't gonna lie. If that does work out, I do expect to see Luca with an MVP trophy too, because I think I, I think he could be in contention for an MVP. <laughs> right and that's the thing too because i mean the like to me you know and I've, I've said this on a few of the podcasts as well it's just that you know the mvp race has kind of been like a three-headed monster race you know between Jokic and beat and then um Giannis. but i think luca has been kind of like right there he's kind of like a tier below he's not necessarily right. there yet but you know he's right there underneath those three guys so i don't know i mean if, if him and Kyrie can mesh and be able to play together well and on top of that dallas could possibly be like a top four or five seed I right. think you got. I think you got to put him in the MVP conversation for sure. Most definitely, because I ain't gonna lie. No matter what I think of Kyrie, I do know that uh, Luke is gonna lead the team in scoring, just because Bray is nice. Like, <laughs> yeah. And on top of it, I mean, he's he's already gonna have the ball in his hands, you know, throughout right. the, throughout throughout the most throughout the most of the season. I mean, I'll be real. He's probably gonna have the highest usage rate all year. Like, most I wouldn't. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. I mean, so Kyrie, so Luke is gonna definitely be the lead score and definitely going to probably have more shot attempts and definitely have more looks. So I'm, I'm excited to see what this duo can do. I mean, I really want to give it a chance, you know, 
I know that there's been a lot of rumblings with the with these guys because I mean, especially you know with Kyrie having a history and everything. But if they can just keep it basketball, man, you know, I think I think they could really make some magic happen. So I'm excited to see how this pans out. And the last duo we got to talk about. This is a new duo who is more likely going to be the best just because both of these guys are really gifted scorers, and that's Devin Booker and Bradley Beal. So it was Chris Paul and Bradley Beal, or sorry, sorry, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but now Chris Paul is out, and now you bring in Bradley Beal. Booker averaged like nearly almost 28 a game, five and a half assists, shot 49%. Bradley Beal last year in his last season with Washington averaged 23 a game, nearly five and a half assists, shot 50% from the floor. Devin Booker is going to slide to his point guard role, which I think that he's capable of doing. You know, I, I mean, I think I think we've seen the, the flashes of the playmaker throughout the year. So, you know, now him sliding to the point guard role, I think is going to open up a lot of opportunities, not only for him, but for Bradley Beal, but for Kevin Durant, for others. So what are your thoughts on this duo? And do you think that they'll be the best duo or backcourt duo in uh, in basketball or in the NBA? I can easily I'm not gonna I can easily see how they will become the best uh backcourt duo in the NBA just because I mean it is Bradley Bill and Devin Booker. Thanks. I mean I was like I can see it, I can see it happening. Um but at the very least I could just I just see them being top three, you know what I mean? At worst, maybe Thanks. top five, but top three though. Um and then like you said, I, I think Devin Booker is, is capable of playing the point guard role. I mean, will he really want to for a full 82 game season? That remains to be seen, you know. He might right. get tired of it a little bit. They might have to call in somebody. Uh, but and especially since they let campaign go too, that actually threw me off when they let Chris Paul and campaign go. But I can also see why they did that because with a guy like Booker, I mean, when you add in KD and Bradley Bill, but you want to make sure your, your main guy's still getting his shots, you gotta you gotta take away a couple of guys. So, you know, I understand a little bit some point guards. Well, at least, at least, at least, Chris Paul. I understood why they did that, but at the same time, though, what I'm really concerned about is what we talked about with a couple other backcourts is, is the defensive side. Uh, Bradley Bill, he has the potential to be a good defensive player, but he just be inconsistent on that end. And Booker, it's it's well, Booker's never really been a great defender, but it's weird because I feel like he has the IQ to you know make plays, more plays on the defensive end, but you know. I just feel like he has to buy into it as much as he buys into the offense. So for opposing teams, from your perspective, how do you how can you set a game plan to slow these two down if there is a game plan? Man, honestly, the only weakness offensively for that backcourt, I would say, <laughs> would just be Bradley Bill from the outside. Like, honestly, Devin Booker doesn't have too many weaknesses offensively. Like, I mean – he ain't really Kyrie with it, but he, you know, he, he could score. He could score in a bunch of ways. He, he could score all around the court, every little nice. <laughs> every little pocket, he could get points. So it's like that's one thing I would say about Booker. And like we said, he has the playmaking. So I don't it's not like you just double team him and just think that it's, it's all fine. You, you triple team him, he's gonna find a guy. So it's not it's really I was like with Booker, I don't see any simple way of doing it. And like, you know, he could shoot, but still, uh Bradley Bill, I just think that the only weakness really he has himself really is uh well, I'm gonna say only one, but his main one, his most most exploitable one might just be his outside shooter. So you might just have to play off of him a little bit, try to shrink a little bit, especially because you know, you know, KD is likely to shoot it. He's still gonna try to get his mid-range shot. So you might want to, 
you know what I'm saying, collapse in the pen a little bit, dig down, be just just be there. It's just it's interesting because I feel like you're not gonna really know until the games get played for real. Like see what the what the coaching staff are gonna try to do, how they're gonna try to what actions they're gonna try to run with them. But at the same time, shh, it's gonna be a hard, it's gonna be a tough one. You, you, they definitely built a monster over there. Right. So would you say that the numbers would potentially drop? I mean, maybe not by a lot, but by like, you know, but by some, just because, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many different scenarios here. I mean, obviously you got Kevin Durant, who's known as one of the best scorers in basketball. Um, then on top of that, you're adding a guy like Bradley Beal as well, who has been known to be an elite scorer, especially during his days, but the Wizards, especially during his prime years, even when he was playing next to John Wall. And then now you have Booker playing a lot of point guard now. So, He's gonna have to be able to run the floor and be able to set those guys up. So, can you see like both of those both of those guys' numbers possibly dropping a little bit? So I, I look up Bradley Beal's numbers. I, I ain't gonna lie. I think Booker is gonna score less. He scored twenty eight a game last season, and uh, I mean he got KD for a full season now and Bradley Beal. And I don't, you know, what KD averaged twenty nine a game last year. So they might actually. I mean. The one on the one hand, just because it's so top heavy, they might all score a little bit less. But because it's a little bit thin on the back end, you know, you could see them running, running out Booker or KD or or Bill with the second unit a little bit to make sure they get their points up. But I will say, if anybody was going to score less, it might just be Booker though, especially because he's going to be playing that, quite yeah. hard and he's going to have to look for guys a little bit more to score. You know, I mean, being used to his ways. And I think that's going to be more dangerous as well because, you know, you allow Booker to be more so the playmaker. And, you know, because I'll be real, I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams' game plan is to really slow down Kevin Durant just because Kevin Durant is such an efficient <laughs> score, especially with him being at the size that he's in. So I think that playing next to KD, especially for a full season, is going to open up so many opportunities for both Bradley Beal and Devin Booker. So I'm really, I'm really excited to see how efficient they can play, especially next to KD. And see how they can shine as well. So, like I said, I mean, you know, you know, with Devin Booker stepping into that point guard role, you know, he's he's definitely done it before. Because I mean, there was even times where Chris Paul was out, and I know I know that they started Cameron Payne in place for Chris Paul, but there's a lot of times where Booker took over the load as a playmaker and being able to set guys up, you know, and being able to help guys, you know, find easy shots on offense. So it's something that he's definitely capable of doing, and it's something that you know Frank Vogel is definitely gonna have him doing more moving forward. I think the only thing with Booker is he's going to have to be um, – I don't think he likes being pressed, like, too much defensively. You know what I mean? I mean, of course, a lot of guys don't. Yeah. Devin Booker definitely seems like he takes exception to that. It reminds me of that – it reminds me of that video, you know, when they were all playing pickup. I, I can't remember who's there. I know it was, like, Joakim Noah and it was someone else, and they started double-teaming him. He was like, yo, what the fuck, bro? We just, we just <laughs> right. working on our game, bro. Like, I'm not trying to deal with this. <laughs> It is like it's just so funny though because it's like I kind of it's like I I get what he's saying but it's like I mean you're still playing ball at the end of the day. I ain't gonna lie, like if you Devin Booker, like you might have been busting their ass. And they... Exactly. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, like if you if you're gonna keep getting buggers on me, I'm finna send the double team. I don't, like come hey, on, go man. call somebody real quick. You're not about to keep making me look bad. Exactly. But no, nah, <laughs> nah, I think I think both of them are gonna have a really good year. They're gonna have a really good year. Obviously, they're gonna have to sacrifice because I mean there is there is only one basketball on the floor, but. I think it's something that they'll be able to figure out and it'll be part of the reason why they're one of the top season in Western conference this year, but that's going to wrap up these backcourt duels. Uh, one more question before we get out of here. Is there any one of these duels that we talked about that you could see getting into the all-star game together? Ooh, together. 
Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, bro. Okay. Uh, I like that. Because, like, I, w- I want to say Trey Young and, and DeJounte Murray. It's just, like, we talked about, like, I don't know what it is about Murray. He's just not as popular as other, you know, guards and whatnot. Right. So, but I do feel like Darius Garland is popular or getting more popular and Donovan Mitchell is Donovan Mitchell. So, yeah. I'll probably say, I'll say Luka and Kyrie depending on what type oh, of year. Oh, yeah. I should have said that. Well, yeah, facts. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say them depending on what type of year they have, especially if they're at least top five in the Western Conference going into All Star break. I think that they can definitely get in. But I mean, I'll, I'll be real. A lot of these, a lot of these duels that we talked about, I think that they are definitely capable. But as far as those, as far as both of them getting in, like at the same time, I think I think Luke and Kyrie definitely Brad Beal and Devin Booker, they definitely have a chance. But I'm going to rock with Luke and Kyrie because I think I think that they're in for a, a really good year, and I'm, I'm expecting a lot out of them this year. But no, honestly, I will say it, it, it might be. Huh, there's always one surprise team every year, and I feel like the Mavericks, like they've been good before, but they might be surprisingly good this year. Like, people are like damn, like yeah, this is this is what's up. <laughs> no, because I. I Cause what I can't remember what what seed were they in twenty twenty two when they got to the conference finals were they like four or five something like that I think they were sounds about right I'm about to look it up yeah because I know I know I know they had home court advantage against they they might have been four because I know they had home court advantage against Utah in that first round and then they ended up playing Phoenix yeah actually yeah they were four because Phoenix was number one that year and then they played Phoenix in the second round yeah yeah you definitely right yeah yeah so I mean it can happen and then you gotta think I mean at the time. Luca was playing next. I mean, Jalen Brunson was good, but Jalen Brunson now was not the Jalen Brunson that was back then. So, I mean, you know, he had that. Then he had a few other guys like, a, like you know, these supporting cast, but he didn't necessarily have an all-star next to him. So now right. that you place Kyrie next to him, and now you give him a full season next to another all-star, I'm, I'm excited to see how that's going to pan out. So I'm, I'm definitely excited about it. Yeah, this seemed to be the best. Uh, yeah, Kyrie apparently is the best talent that Luca has played with. I will say that. No, that's a fact. That's definitely a fact. <laughs> uh, so like I said, I'm definitely excited to see what they can do moving forward. But my guy Quentin, man, I appreciate you for joining the show once again. We definitely got to do this again. Oh, uh, oh, definitely, yeah. definitely let the people know where to find you, man, where to find your work. Oh, yeah, man. You can just follow me on Twitter at Q-S-H-I-R-O-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-I-E. Or it was shorter for you, N-B-A-Q-S-A. <laughs> nah, definitely, definitely, definitely make sure to definitely make sure to follow all those, and then definitely check out his work. You know his writings, and then on top of that, you know with him being a media as well, make sure to check out all the content that he got. Appreciate you, know, brother. Once again, appreciate all the people who have been listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. I love the TGB ball. Make sure to follow myself and Nick Andre ATR, and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast: Apple, Spotify, iHeart, you name it. And until next time, y'all, do something. Show that.